2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Thanks, Ria, for that reading, and also Randall for the... Um financial update and I just echo what he said we're grateful for the consistency of those of you who have been able to give during this time and and please do let us know about people or those that you know that could use some um, financial assistance at this time and just a reminder too that we continue on with change for a dollar so if you have a neighbor or someone that you're working with that we could um, come collectively together as a community and come alongside and please reach out to us you can reach out to us on email um, our emails are posted on our website. And as Ria said, we continue to be in, or as Ria read, rather, we are continuing to be in the book of Corinthians. And it's a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Corinth. And this whole letter, the intention of this whole letter is that Paul is trying to help the Corinthian church see themselves through the new that Jesus has brought to them. And we need that too. We need to be able to see ourselves and the world around us through the lens of the new that Jesus has brought to us through his death and through his resurrection. So before we dive in today, Monsieur, would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for the power of your spirit who... um, confirms in us what is true and what is good and what is whole about the work that you have done and are doing in the world. I pray today that as we attune ourselves um, to this letter of the Corinthians, that there would be some new work that you do within us, that you would produce new hope in us, new capacity to faith and new trust in you. So Lord, um, lead us together as we look to this text, your word, with one another this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now where we've already been, um, Paul starts this letter by helping the people see themselves as a community. They're formed by, as different people coming together in this new community, and we just mentioned that, like the work of Pentecost, this communal bringing togetherness of different kinds of people. And then he's trying to help them grasp what it means to have the Spirit in them, the significance of the Spirit's work amongst them. 
And he's been really clear in the last couple of chapters that having the Spirit at work within us doesn't mean that there is no suffering or that there's a lack of hardship. It's the ordinary, common, even suffering, all of those things, that they don't undermine the reality of Jesus. Those things, the ordinary, the, the suffering, the complexity, become the context through which Jesus' power and strength is revealed. And it's out of which the life of God is born into the world. So it's not the absence of hardship, it's not the absence of difficulty or the absence of weakness. Paul says it's out of those spaces that the life of God is born into the world. And so we pick up today um, in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to read a little bit before to give us context from chapter 4, verses 17. Paul writes, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, the body, we groan on our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So this passage here, um, Paul is using this image of a home and a tent and earthly and heavenly um, to talk about life and death. And he's talking about how it's going to be so much better like when we take off what is mortal, like the fragility of our lives here, and we take on the eternal, which God promises. And I think when we read passages like this, all kinds of things come to mind. Some people resonate with this. Like feel the weight and difficulty or the pain, physical pain of life, and want that to be alleviated. And so there's this anticipation of letting all of that go and being with Christ. But I think for some of us, we kind of feel like we should feel that way, but we like it. We like it. We like life. We like skiing when we can. We like friends over for barbecue. Like it, we're not thinking that there is going to be this relief. We, we maybe think we should think that, but we actually don't. And then for some of us, when we think about death, it brings the unknown. And with that unknown, a feeling of fear. Or trepidation. We wouldn't write this like Paul that we're longing for death. And I think some of that has to do with the paradigm that we bring to the Bible, the way that we understand who we are in the world, what our purpose in the world is, like what we're supposed to be about, what it means, what the end of life means. And I've got a diagram here that kind of shows us what we often bring as a paradigm to the biblical text. Here's earth, and then that long line is the life that we're living. We have ourselves there, me, the life that we're living. And then we have heaven and earth. 
And so, um, can you go back to that slide, the other slide, Haley? Oh, oh yeah, sorry, it's there. <laughs> Technical, I can't see things. So this, the heaven, so you have earth and then you have us and there's this long trajectory that is life and at the end of it, somehow we go to either the good place, heaven, or not the not so good place, hell. That isn't actually what the Bible teaches. That's a paradigm that we bring, um, often that is from culture or just other places that we've picked it up. It's not the biblical paradigm. The biblical paradigm is, starts in Genesis and it's where God created the heavens and, and the earth and he called it good. And there was this connection and union between heaven and earth. And then there was a fracture and a rupture that happened. But God in his goodness and love always wants there to be connection between him and that which he's made. And so in the Old Testament, the temple is what brought that connection. And then Jesus fulfills the promises of the old, and he creates that connection. And you see the overlap there. And that overlap is where heaven and earth sit together. But the ultimate end, as we get to the end of the text in Revelation, is that there will be um, reconciliation between all things. God is going to reunite heaven and earth. It's going to reconcile heaven and earth back together and there will be goodness and flourishing that happens once more. So you may ask me, well, Heather, what about the notion of hell? Well, in this picture um, that the Bible um, lays out, hell has been um, an infraction on God's goodness from outside powers and from ourselves, and it's a part of earth, but eventually that is going to be dislocated, sent out of the reality of where we live, and it will be apart from this peacefulness that God intends to bring. And those, you know, you have writers like N.T. Wright and Christopher Wright and C.S. Lewis and Josh Butler and Tim Mackey, and this is the image that they give us as they teach through the biblical text. And it's what Paul is saying here when he says, we fix our eyes on things that are unseen, not things that are seen. And he's not here talking about a physical reality and a spiritual reality. He is talking about we fix our eyes not on this present world, but on a future world that we, will, that we can hope in. And then the point that he is making is that the things that we see here are going to only last for a short time before they are swallowed up by life, us included. And the biblical word for that is shalom, that there's going to be no violence or hatred or death or sickness or pain or pride or criticism, but God's um, true reality, reality one day is going to be brought into his world when he brings things back together in renewal. And that's going to be more um, real, even though at the moment it is out of sight. It's going to be tangible and tactile and real. And so this picture that Paul is giving is supposed to give us hope. And the context that he's speaking is in, in is in the context of suffering. Verse 17, we read it, is this light and momentary affliction. Which, to be honest, in this moment, I'm like, Paul, I think you're being a little British here. The British are known for being a little understated. You know, Paul has experienced really deep suffering to the point of death. 
And he's like, these, these light and momentary afflictions. And then he says, we are groaning in verse 4, and we are burdened by the things and the weight that is on this current life and existence that we carry. And we feel it. And I think maybe we feel it more than ever in these last months as we've kind of experienced this COVID-19 pandemic and as we had earthquakes and now as we experience like consistent racial injustice and the, and the responses to that. Maybe we feel it more in the last few months than we have in a while. The weight and heaviness of what this world can bring to us and the experiences that we have in it. And the weight and tension of the here and now is no joke for some. Some are more insulated than others, but it was also no joke for Paul. And in his letter, he wanted to tie the future hope to this present suffering, not divorce the two. And he wants us to see our lives differently. He wants us to see our lives in light of Jesus and the reality of Jesus. And so he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. He wants, to see, he wants us to see ourselves in Christ as those who are new, have started to experience the renewal of what is to come. And in that, he also entrusts us with this purpose and vocation of making things new. We're going to talk about that next week, this ministry of reconciliation that is given to those of us in Christ. But this whole section is pointing us to the fact that what we do now is not irrelevant. It's not just about getting through life until one day we get to one place or the other. What we do in between in these hard and challenging times has enormous value. And Paul invites us to do it in light of the reality that God is going to and is making all things new. He is renewing us. He started that work in us and he continues to do that work through us. And so therefore, we are always confident, verse 6, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So here Paul tells us how we're supposed to live in this in-between time, in the midst of suffering and hope in the midst of feeling perplexed and uncertain and also having confidence in Jesus. He tells us how it is that we're supposed to live. Cheers, Paul. He says that we're supposed to live by faith. And one of the most quintessential texts in the Bible that talk about faith is Hebrews chapter 11. And in order to understand faith, we need a definition right there at the beginning of Hebrews is a definition, and it says, now faith is the substance, or the reality of things hoped for, 
and the evidence of things not seen or the assurance of things not seen. So it's this faith or faith is this substance or reality of hope. And the whole chapter of 11 kind of walks us through these different kinds of people that give us a mirror back of what faith looks like. And these people have embodied actions that display trust in Jesus in all kinds of different circumstances. And in verse 6 of that chapter, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And so it's really fascinating that right here in Corinthians, those two words are paired together. Faith and pleasing Christ. Those are connected realities. And so as we look at that, we ask ourselves, what is faith? You see, oh, faith is living in light of the new reality that is brought to us in Jesus. Faith is living in light of the new reality that is brought to us in Jesus. And living in that light, we put our action to what we hope in. We put our steps on what we hope in. I hope I can walk around here. That's what it means to have faith. So living in light of the hope that we know of renewal, we walk out justice. And we walk out mercy and self-sacrificial love and humility and peace and creativity but because those are what we hope in the reality of the kingdom. And so living in light of that, we put our steps on those actions and that's the embodiment of faith. And so faith then is this embodied action of trust in Jesus And faith is the way that we transfer trust away from other things unto him. So we we transfer our trust away from our own ways. We transfer it away from pride and we transfer it away from contempt and self-justification and comfort and we transfer it into Jesus. And faith is the way that we transfer trust away from ways and systems and cultures that we live in. Away from power. The primacy of power or the primacy of knowledge or the primacy of success or hatred. And so we transfer trust away from those things and away from ourselves and we put them into the ways of Jesus. We put our hope and our actions into the ways of Jesus, and that's faith. And as we transfer our trust and depend, as those actions show up in our lives, God is pleased. Because the way that we are living reflects our purpose and our vocation, which is our newness, and to bring that newness into the world. And these actions of faith are what bring that newness into the world. The broken, hurting, fractured space we call now. Our actions of faith bring that newness into the world. And that really matters to Jesus. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Basically, the things done while we are in the now. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And the context here is talking about believers. All of us. And as you read this, you might feel, again, a little unsettled. Jesus is going to judge us for what we do now? Yes. Yes. And we tend to hear that and place our old paradigm back onto this reading. Here we are, like, oh no, there's this tally of all the good and bad things that we've done. Like, when we get to the end, like, don't know. I don't know how it's going to measure up. And I think our perception often of Jesus or of God is that he's, he just can't wait to find us out. To expose us to like shame and to blame and to guilt. That's kind of the feeling that we have when we think about being judged. But it's also kind of cognitively confusing because like what about Jesus? Didn't he pay for all those bad things? So how's he going to judge for the bad things? Right? There's so many passages written by Paul himself who wrote Corinthians that feel like they maybe contradict this. I mean, even if you just run down the, the page right now and look at verse 19, it says none of our sins are going to be counted against us. And the chapter 10 of Hebrews, right before 11, talks about how our sin and lawless acts are no more. Romans 8, chapter 1 says there's no condemnation. So then what is this speaking about? The good and bad must be talking about something else. And I think maybe a better way to read it would be to say valuable and worthless. So for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done, whether valuable or worthless. Jesus started something in his coming, and we build upon it. And that's the sense of vocation and purpose that we have now, is like we're building upon this thing that Jesus started and that he will complete, and we participate in the building of it, and we do it with care. And earlier on in his letter to Corinthians, Paul uses an analogy of kind of, a, of like a construction site. That, you know, Jesus is the foundation, and we're building on top of the foundation, and we do that with care. We build with care, he says. Then he goes on to say, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the day of judgment, which is what he just talked about, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. The quality of what we do now will be tested. And if you're an engineer or you work on a construction site, you're like, that's a good idea to test the quality of work. And the reality is the things that are done in our lives will one day be revealed for what they are. Kind. 
generous, self-sacrificial, doing justice and mercy, loving our neighbor. The kinds of things that we do, they'll one day be revealed and also the motives behind what we do will be revealed. We will be in the presence of Christ and we'll be fully known, we'll be fully seen. And it's just ourselves, that's the specific context here, that it's, we don't stand with other people or um, have other people like speak into that. It's a very personal moment that we have before Christ, that he sees us and that he knows us, not only what we do, but the motives with which we do them. And then it says that in his presence, all the worthless stuff, the pride and the greed and the lust, and the selfishness, it'll all be burned up. All of the worthless stuff will be gone. Amicio, I think that should be comforting to us. Really, really comforting. Because anything that is worthless, ill motives, failures, mistakes, intentional or unintentional, will be gone. We burned up, they'll be disappeared. We won't be lugging that stuff around with us. It feels like right now we lug that stuff around with us and we can hardly stand ourselves sometimes. We can hardly stand other people. Just lug that stuff around with us. And it says that in the presence of Christ, all that will be burned up. It'll be disappeared. There'll be no shame and no guilt and no blame. It'll be gone in the presence of Christ. You won't have to carry those weights anymore. It's freedom. And then Paul tells us what we can expect after that, after that moment with Christ where all of that stuff is gone. Carries on in chapter 4 and he says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Again, we're talking about this moment of judgment. Wait until the Lord comes with this union and reconciliation. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness, will expose the motives of a heart. And catch this, catch this. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Each will receive their praise from God. So he forgives and then removes all the things that had no value. And then what does he do? Praises us. Gives us the applause. It's like the Lady Gaga song. To the applause, applause, applause. Is that the kind of judgment that you expect? Praise. If we can get our heads around this, it is out of control. Because Jesus forgives and he covers for us. Removes guilt and shame and blame. The Father sets about these works that he wants us to live in and they're good works, Ephesians chapter 2. And then the Spirit empowers us, produces the fruitfulness, and in the end, we're praised for it. 
We've given the applause. And do you know what that's called, Monsieur? That's called grace. It's called generosity. It's called love. And Christ is making all things new, including us. And that's what this whole text is all about. And it's what the text is pointing to. And so that is the direction of our hope, even though it is unseen at the moment. And it's the hope that lives in us. And so our actions of faith, this transference of trust onto Christ and all of his generosity and his grace and his love and his empowering, help us to bring that newness into the now. And it's pleasing to Christ. So in this in-between times, know that your failures and your mistakes are not going to be held against you. It's in between this time that we don't have to worry so much about that, but instead we can cultivate faith, which produces newness, which is what the world needs. And it's also what we need, Missio. Renewing, restoring, healing, hoping. And faith is what produces that in us and in the world. And so as you think this week, what I want you to do is think about ways that you could cultivate faith. And I have a couple of questions that I maybe jot down if you have a pen and paper that you can attune to this week. Is your imagination full of the hope of the kingdom? You can read Isaiah 61. Like, what is it that, that is unseen that you can hope in so that you can put your faith in? The question would be, is your imagination full of the hope of the kingdom? Where do you need to transfer trust? Away from pride or away from comfort or away from selfishness or away from... Where do you need to transfer trust? Away from anxiety or fear or uncertainty? Where do you need to transfer your trust? What kind of cultural trust are you buying into that you need to transfer away to put in the kingdom of Jesus? And then finally, what action of faith this week will be the risk of embodied trust worth doing? What action of faith can you do this week that will embody your trust in the hope you believe in, the resurrection, the life, the union and reconciliation work that Christ is doing? Maybe you need to tell that person that you love them. Maybe you need to read a book on racism or white privilege. Maybe you need to sit and paint a picture with your child or go for a walk, look at beauty. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness or apply for that job or ask that girl or that guy out. I don't know what an action of faith that embodies your trust would look like. But I would ask you to think about it. 
And in all of this, know that Jesus has got your back. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that he so strongly wants, even in the midst of hardship and suffering, for them to get an imagination of hope, of what your intention is, of what you will do, what you are doing, and bringing newness and life. And that hope then calls to these actions of faith that make trust real and then newness born into the world. And so I thank you. I thank you that Paul, in the midst of his hardship, can call us into that kind of faith and action and hope. And so I pray that we would, as your people here in Salt Lake City, would be about that. Not because we fear judgment or we fear that we need to do the right things, but because we know and believe and trust your grace and your generosity and your love. And so Holy Spirit, empower us to be your people of newness in this city this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Miss you, if you have the elements of bread and wine, take them in your home and give gratitude to who Christ is in your midst. Let's continue in worship.